my goal for 2015 is to accomplish the goals of 2014, which I should have done in 2013 because I made a promise to myself in 2012 that I would keep my goals from 2011. Anybody like that? You just kind of feel like that. <laughs> Um, I, I heard some, uh, some funny resolutions from people, and maybe you've used this before. Here are some uh, pledges, resolutions from people. I will not give the same old excuses for missing work. I'll think of some new ones. <laughs> I resolve to work with neglected children, my own. <laughs> I will think of a password for my email other than password. Anybody done that? I will only log on to Facebook, watch out, I will only log on to Facebook 8 to 10 times this year versus 20 to 30 of the past year. Here's a good one. I will take all the money that I normally would spend at Starbucks and pay off the house. Hmm. And here's the last one. I will always check for toilet paper before going into the stall... Here. And then as I'm leaving, I'll check for it again to make sure it's not following me. <laughs> amen. I heard an amen on that one. <laughs> Resolutions. How do you feel about them? Uh, do you do them? Do you believe in them? I don't think there's anything wrong with them. I don't think there's necessarily anything unbiblical about resolutions. Um, but there is something intriguing, uh, refreshing to, uh, to have the concept that every year, come January 1, we can hit that reset button, right? We can have a big do-over again, if nothing else in our minds. Maybe you've written some things out. Um, maybe you have some definite resolutions laid out. Maybe you just have some things in the back of your mind. But whatever it is in your heart or in your head, there is no doubt that there is one word that describes what you will have to exhibit if you are going to experience these things, and that is the word sacrifice. If you want to uh, gain more money, then probably going to have to sacrifice uh, time with the family, perhaps. If you want more time with the family, you're probably going to have to sacrifice maybe more money or things with a job or a career. If you want to get out of debt, you're going to have to sacrifice not getting those things that you want. There's got to be a sacrifice there. And as I just alluded to a few minutes ago, if you want to lose weight, you have to sacrifice yourself, deny yourself from eating what you want to eat whenever you want to eat it, and get on that treadmill or whatever it is that you're on. Have you asked God what things he might want you to adjust for 2015? Hmm. If you have your Bibles, turn to Genesis chapter 22. Genesis chapter 22. One of the most difficult things is when a preacher digs into Scripture and to try to convey to you what God has conveyed to me and the, the, the depth, the level of intensity, the level that God has spoken to me and try to relay that on to you, that can be a very difficult thing. But if we peer into this verse or these verses...
think we can see some deep truths. It will be on the screen, but Genesis 22, the first 12 verses, and here we go. Now it came to pass after these things that God tested Abraham. God tests us, doesn't he? God does not tempt us, but God will test us. And he said to him, Abraham, and he said, here I am. Then he said, take now your son, your only son, Isaac, whom you love, and go to the land of Moriah and offer him there as a burnt offering on one of the mountains of which I shall tell you. So Abraham rose early in the morning and saddled his donkey and took two of his young men with him and Isaac his son. And he split the wood for the burnt offering and arose and went to the place of which God had told him. Then on the third day Abraham lifted his eyes and saw the place afar off. And Abraham said to his young men, Stay here with the donkey. The lad and I will go yonder and worship. We will come back to you. So Abraham took the wood of the burnt offering and laid it on Isaac, his son. And he took the fire in his hand and a knife. And the two of them went together. But Isaac spoke to Abraham, his father, and said, My father. And he said, Here I am, my son. Then he said, Look, the fire and the wood, but where is the lamb for a burnt offering? And Abraham said, My son, God will provide for himself the lamb for a burnt offering. So the two of them went together. Then they came to the place of which God had told him. And Abraham built an altar there and placed the wood in order. And he bound Isaac, his son, and laid him on the altar upon the wood. And Abraham was stretched out his hands and took the knife to slay his son. But the angel of the Lord called to him from heaven and said, Abraham, Abraham. So he said, here I am. And he said, do not lay your hand on the lad or do anything to him. For now I know that you fear God, since you have not withheld your son, your only son, from me. I like to propose that there is a great lesson lesson for us to learn as we go into 2015. Oh, there are several lessons. There are several different messages I probably could have given, but for this year we'll lead with this. Several things that God wants us to grasp. That what God asked of Abraham, he's also asking of you and I, and what is it? Today, reinstitution of the paganistic ritual of child sacrifice? No, that's not it. Some may think that what God was after here is death. But it's not death that God was after, but rather it was Abraham's obedience. He wanted Abraham's willingness to do whatever his God asked of him. He wanted Abraham's passions, his dreams, his desires, his wishes. God wanted Abraham's all to be placed before him and before anything else. Notice all the times that Abraham said, here I am. Verse 1. 
And he said to him, Abraham. And Abraham said, Here I am. He even said it with his son in verse 7. But Isaac spoke to Abraham, his father, and said, My father. And he said, Here I am, my son. In verse 11, But the angel of the Lord called to him from heaven and said, Abraham, Abraham. And he said, Here I am. You see, I don't think that God so much wanted Abraham to give up his rights for his son Isaac. God wanted Abraham to give up his rights to Abraham. You got that? God wanted Abraham to give up his rights to Abraham. Well, we could go off on a tangent with that. We all have rights, don't we? We all have ways that we think that we should be treated. Well, they did not treat me, so I have a right to. And God this morning is telling all of us, sacrifice yourself for me. Oswald Chambers, in my utmost for his highest, said this. We seem to think that God wants us to give things up. That Christianity is about giving this up or giving that up. That life is about saying, I can't do this and I can't do that. That's what many people think about a holiness movement. They, they believe that, that there's a lot of do's and don'ts, a lot are holier than thou's. Uh, and it's not about that at all. But God never tells us, listen here, God going into a new year. God never tells us to give things up just for the sake of giving them up. But many times he tells us to give things up for the sake of the one thing, the one thing that's truly worth having, and that is life with him. That's life, an abundant life. And you know that it gets sweeter as the days go by. We have to continually give up ourselves in order for this walk with Jesus Christ to go sweeter and sweeter and sweeter. Our marriages, husbands and wives, our marriages should grow grow sweeter and sweeter as the years go by. Say amen or ouch. (laughs) It should. This relationship with Jesus must get sweeter and sweeter. And if it's not, it's not because of him. It's because of us. The one thing that's truly worth having, and that's life in him. And we have life in him by saying what Abraham said. Here I am, Lord. Here I am. What am I trying to get at? What's the, what's the gist of the message? Am I asking you to give things up? Not necessarily. Is it obedience? Possibly. Is it your will? Maybe. But it's more than that. There's one word, there's one thought that I believe sums up what God wants from all of us as we enter 2015. And really it's at the heart of what we see in Abraham. God wants us to be consumed with Christ. That's easy for us to shake our head to. Boy, that sounds good, Pastor. Boy, what a message to start 2015 And do we understand the sacrifice that will take? Mm. To be consumed with Jesus Christ. I believe God wants us to be 
consumed to the point that this relationship with Jesus affects everything that we do. It affects everything that we say. It affects everywhere that we go. It will affect everything that we think about. The reason I led with the story about Abraham and Isaac is because I believe it's clear to see that Abraham had to have been consumed with his love for his God. Living all out for God, his heavenly Father, I want to just break down this story for a few moments this morning. Just think about this. First, we need to remember just how important Isaac was to Abraham. Yes, he had Ishmael through Hagar, but that was not God's original plan. His original plan was for Isaac to be born through the woman that he really loved, and that being Sarah. When, when God gave Abraham the promise in Genesis 12, Abraham was 75 years old and Sarah was about 66 years old. And when he gave the promise, that must have been a huge, you've got to be kidding me, right? Ladies, 66 years of age, if you were told that you were going to have a baby. Are you sitting down? <laughs> Remember my mom, um, whenever she was pregnant with Jamie, there's 19 years difference between Brent and Jamie, 13 years between me and Jamie. And, and uh, when mom sat me down, she said, Brock, do you know the story of Sarah and Abraham? <laughs> mom was in her 40s, and she felt like Sarah. <laughs> and uh, I, I couldn't get over it. I said, mean, you're going to wear those big clothes that women wear and uh, just overwhelm me. So at the time... Abraham was 75 years of age. Sarah was 66. And even at those ages, it must have been hard to believe. But Isaac was not born for another 24 years. Now think about that. A promise, but 24 years later given. When Isaac was born, Abraham was 99 years of age. Sarah was 90. Still sitting down, ladies, on that one? (laughs) Now in our chapter 22, supposing that Isaac is anywhere from 8 to 12, it calls him a lad in this story. In this chapter, Abraham would now have been uh, anywhere from 108 to 110 years of age, and Sarah would have been around 98 to 102 years of age. Can you imagine? And God asked them to do what? Verse 2, it's not going to be on your screen, but your Bibles are still open. And he said, take now your son, your only son Isaac, whom you love, and go to the land of Moriah and offer him there as a burnt offering on one of the mountains of which I shall tell you. And I saw just something that just emphasized this even more this morning as I was reviewing this. He says, take now your son Now, if we stop right there, there's no doubt that Abraham knew who God was talking about. But in case Abraham wasn't sure, God made sure he was sure because the next couple words, he says, take now your son, your only son, Isaac. Okay, God, now I know who you're talking about. 
And just to place more emphasis on the sacrifice that Abraham was going to have to exhibit, he then goes on to say, your son, your only son Isaac, whom you love. God almost seems as though he's playing with Abraham, doesn't he? Almost seems like a cruel joke. God is reminding Abraham that he wants Isaac, his only son, a son that he and Sarah deeply loved. Needless to say, this couple had waited a long time for this promise. It had been from the time of the promise to this time to where Isaac is about 8 to 12 years old, it had been about 35 years. And by this time, I'm sure that Abraham and Sarah, they were loving, they were cherishing every moment with Isaac. Especially at their ages. And God asked them to do what? But notice the verse right after verse 2. He just got done asking Abraham to sacrifice his son. And verse 3 says this, So Abraham arose early in the morning and saddled his donkey. And took two of his young men with him and Isaac his son. And he split the wood for the burnt offering and arose and went to the place of which God had told him. Does not say anything here about Abraham refusing or even questioning God. That's crazy. To me it is. You? Abraham shows that he was so consumed when he proceeded with the request. However, I don't think we can take Abraham's humanity away. We cannot make him like a robot and just say he had no emotions here. We're told that it took them three days to get to the mountain. Those had to be the longest Most miserable three days in the life of Abraham, don't you think? He knew what he was going to do. Every day, every step was a time of testing for Abraham because he had plenty of opportunities to back out. Every step in their journey, Abraham had an opportunity to back out. And as we look at this passage Every morning, it took them three days. Every morning, they arose to start toward the mountain. As they gathered to get the wood and the fire. When he decided to leave his helpers behind and just take his son up on the mountain on day three. When on top of the mountain, it tells us that he built an altar with every stone, every rock that he picked up. He had to have been thinking, I can't believe I'm doing this. I can't believe that I'm doing this. God, are you kidding me? But he still picked up the stones. When he reached out to put his hand on his son that he loved more than anything in that life, to then bind him and then lay him on the altar, and then especially when he raised the knife up to plunge it into his son, every step, every move was a test. And through it all, Abraham showed that he was consumed with love for his father.
What does it look like? What's it look like to be consumed? Let's be honest. Many of us were consumed on Thursday night about 8.30, right? To about 12.30 or 1 o'clock in the morning. We were consumed. We were jumping around all in our living rooms going crazy as our Buckeyes beat Alabama, right? We were consumed. Most of you were all in. Most of you were delirious probably. (laughs) What does it look like to be consumed with something? You know, many people can be so consumed that they become almost OCD. Not OCD, but they are obsessed, obsessive compulsive behavior, OCD. If you're not OCD, you're probably married to one. Amen? Some people are germaphobes. I'm looking at some of you all right now, probably. You perhaps wash your hands constantly. You're, uh, as soon as you shake hands with people, you get that sanitizer out real quick. And, uh, yeah, I'm looking at some of you raising your, yeah, that's you. Uh, some of you, uh, uh, when you're cooking on the stove and you go to turn that burner off, you go back three or four times to make sure the burner's off, right? Or when you're locking your door at night and you know that it's locked, but you go back two or three more times to make sure that the door is locked. Um, I, I am OCD in some ways, right, honey? Yeah, I'm OCD, and, and the praise team can even see that at times. I'm OCD in some areas. Um, Dave Sweat knows that I'm OCD. Um, I should not be telling you this because then I know that you'll do something to me with this, but I'll tell you anyways. I do not like anything out of place, out of kilter. If it's, if it's out of balance, if, it's, if there's a picture on the wall and it's just like this, now some of you are going to go into my office and you're going to tilt my picture. I just know that, okay? Um, I, that, that drives me nuts. Uh, Dave Sweat was flying out on, on a business uh, uh, trip one time and he took a... All right, you know those, uh, those airplane trays that fold down, okay, and you have the lap of the trays? Well, as you put them up, there's that little clip that holds them in place. Dave took a picture of that clip, and it was just a little bit off kilter, you know. The rest of my day was ruined, Dave, because of that. You're a sick person back there. Believe it or not, I read a story to where a lady every day, at the end of the day, would sift through her trash to make sure that she did not throw anything valuable away. When she was asked why she did this, she says, I have no idea because I don't own anything that valuable. But she still felt the need to do that. Look, if we were to go around here, you all are OCD about various things in your life. You know you are. Obviously, there's a difference in being consumed or paranoid over the wrong things versus that of things that will last forever. Sometimes I watch the show. I think, uh, Lord, you said this as well. Uh, the, I think it's the Curse of Oak Island. Um, it, it's a show uh, to where uh, there's this island, I believe it's around Nova Scotia. And uh, it is believed that there are relics, um, relics from the old Jewish temple that are in there. Uh, silver and gold from, from pirates from hundreds of years ago. And, and there, is, uh, there are tunnels and there are holes and there are traps. And, and uh, since the 1700s until this time, the 1960s, 
Six people have died looking for that treasure. And there is a latest family, and, and uh, this family has bought the entire island so they can search for this treasure. What's it look like to be consumed with something? Church, my first message to you in this new year is that God wants you and I in 2015 to give our all in Jesus Christ to find the treasures that he has for us. Amen. That's the message is to be consumed so that we can find the treasures that are in him and in him alone. We are to be consumed with living for him to the point that all of life is dominated by him. And my question to you with a mirror up to myself is, are you consumed? Are you consumed with Jesus? Romans 12.1 tells us, I beseech you therefore, brethren, by the mercies of God, to present your body as a living, there's that word again, sacrifice, holy, acceptable to God, which is your reasonable service. Now, we can just stop right there and go off on another message. It tells us this is our reasonable service. That, that, that tells me, look, this is just the basics here. You know, when Jesus Christ saves you from a life of sin, when he gives you a clean heart, he gives you an abundant life, he gives you eternal life in heaven, the least that we can do is to sacrifice our life for him. That's just, that's just our reasonable service. Hmm. Oswald Chambers goes on to say about that verse, it is no value to God... Now listen to this. It is no value to God to give him your life for death. He wants you and me to be a living sacrifice. Living sacrifice. This is what is acceptable to God. Being consumed with Jesus is like that. It affects everything that you do. You'll find that Jesus just pops up Everywhere that you go, he pops up in the grocery store as you're talking to the clerk there across the counter. He pops up as you go to the dentist's office. He pops up as you take your car to be serviced. He pops up as you drop the kids off at practice. Even in problems and when making decisions, Jesus consumes your every thought. And I've said this before, I'll say it again though. I don't believe God wants us to be so consumed that... We're so heavenly minded that we're no earthly good. Don't misunderstand me with that. But to be so consumed that all of life is affected by Jesus. And it basically comes down to whatever you give your heart to. I got to tell you, I say amen or ouch. This week I have said, Just last night, there were some things that God began to put his finger on in my life. I'm just like you. Yeah. And it came down to where, and it was a simple thing, but God said, Brock, are you willing to do this for me? I said, sure, God. What does it look like to be consumed? Many of you know who this person is. 
Francis Chan, popular pastor of Cornerstone Church in California. It's over a 4,000-member church, uh, best-selling author of the books Crazy Love, Forgotten God, probably going to be studies that we do at some point in time on a Wednesday. Very, very uh, great studies. Pastor of a large church, 4,000-member church, but a number, a few years ago, he suddenly resigned as the pastor, sold his house, packed up his family, and left the country and headed for Asia. Just like that. There was no scandal, no controversy, so why did he do this? He later said that in his own church he began hearing the name Francis Chan a lot more than he wanted to hear. He said, I think there's been too much emphasis placed on me. I want to be used by God, but I think we have this desire to make heroes out of people rather than following God and the Holy Spirit. That takes guts, doesn't it? To to pick up, pack up, sell your house and go. He wanted to focus more on serving people one-on-one. He began traveling across Asia and India and Thailand, visiting the small little churches in those areas and encouraging the people in those areas. He began speaking messages of encouragement to little churches hidden away in the slums of India. Here is a guy who is much sought after, and actually I believe he's going to be one of the speakers at this year's 2015 Convention of the Church of God in Oklahoma City. Well, I'd love to go to that one. How can he do this? How can he leave at the height of success, a 4,000-member church? All is going well. How can he go from that life at Cornerstone to serving in the slums of India? I'll tell you how. He is consumed with Jesus. Now, am I trying to say... If you flip a switch and say, okay, God, I give you everything that he's going to move you, no. But are you ready for what he might ask you to do? Maybe that might be why a lot of people don't make themselves consumed because they're afraid of what the future will hold. Hmm. The Bible was full of examples for us. John the Baptist He was consumed. All you have to do is just read through the scriptures and read through the life and times of John the Baptist, and you have to see that he was consumed with Jesus. From the moment that he encountered his cousin Jesus when they were both in the wombs of their mothers, and he was filled with the Holy Spirit, John the Baptist had one thing on his mind, one goal, that is to prepare the way of the Lord. That was his life. That was his mission. That was his reason for getting up in the morning. Listen, I fear, man, we live right in the heart of it. I fear that we're too comfortable in this life. We have too many comforts. We don't need God like we used to. Have too many recreational activities. Have too much fun. We have too much pleasure and just don't need God like we used to. Amen? 
And as I said last week with my friend whose spouse left them, when you find that God is all that you have, you'll find that he's all that you need. And a lot of the reasons why the church is growing like crazy outside of this country is because they have nothing else in their country. There's no riches. There's no wealth. You have people who have nothing but yet when they get a hold of Jesus Christ, they have found everything. And I fear that the church in America is in a very dangerous place because we have everything. The Apostle Paul in Philippians, but what things were gained to me, these I have counted loss for Christ. Yet indeed, I also count all things lost for the excellence of the knowledge of Christ Jesus, my Lord, for whom I have suffered the loss of all things and count them as rubbish that I may gain Christ. Speaking of Jesus, it says this in 2 Corinthians, that he died for all, that those who live should live no longer for themselves, but for him who died for them and rose again. That those who live, that those is you and me, those is you and I, those is talking about us. Let me end with this story, true story. Nineteen sixty-four, there was a war that took place between Malaysia and Indonesia. Malaysia had joined forces with Great Britain at that time. And Great Britain and Malaysia were allies. And Great Britain began training a group of soldiers from Nepal. There's pictures of them right there. They began training soldiers from Nepal called Gurkhas. Great Britain, as they were training these Gurkhas, they asked them if they would be willing to jump as paratroopers from a transport plane into the battle zones. The Gurkhas took an unusually long time to think about it, but they finally told Great Britain, we will do it, but under certain conditions. We need to land in soft, marshy fields we also ask that the planes fly at a very slow speed and, and that they are no higher than 100 feet off the ground. The British general told them he thought he'd, he could probably accommodate most of those requests except for the 100 feet off the ground. He said it would be impossible because there would be no time for the parachutes to deploy. And the Gurkhas said, parachutes, you said nothing about parachutes. True story. They said, if you're giving us parachutes, we will jump anywhere. You see, the Gurkhas were consumed in their cots. That they were willing to jump out of an airplane without a parachute. Oh, church, what a way to enter 2015 to be consumed with Jesus. 
the truth be told, when we're done here, and I'm going to just sing a simple chorus. I'm very careful when I say this, and I'm not, I don't want you to do anything that you're not led to do, but truth be told, we should all be up at the altars asking God to help us be consumed with Jesus Christ. What is it in your life that you need to do? Maybe it's something you do need to give up. Maybe it's something that you do need to start. Maybe it's something that God wants you, whatever it is. And chances are that most of us have already been thinking of something. Something that God wants us to do that would make us consumed with Jesus Christ. Being consumed means that you're all in. You've counted the cost. You're willing to jump out of the plane without a parachute if that's what God asks of you. He is second to none. Your overwhelming devotion and desire is to do the will of your Father. Where are you at? Where are you at? You know, there are certain individuals, there are certain individuals that we... We look at and we're like, wow, they're just consumed. I want to be like that. And that's not a bad thing. The Apostle Paul said, follow me as I follow Christ. But I've got to tell you, um, you know, it's, it's easy, easy, even easy for me to get wrapped up into things that are not eternal in nature. The other night we were at, at uh, Best Buy looking at some stuff and... Um, and those TVs that they have nowadays, guys, if you go into those stores and look at the TVs, they're just incredible. Just incredible what kind of technology that they're having nowadays. And, and, um, and they have images on there that make you want to buy one of those TVs. That makes you want to buy one of those $8,000 TVs, right? <laughs> yeah, right. But then I, I walked down this aisle and, and they had a whole shelf of just little Little TVs, obviously for various reasons and purposes. And, and throughout the whole world, there was just one TV that was on, and it was black and white. And I don't know how or why they would do this. I'm glad they did. But they were showing an old Billy Graham classic on one of those TVs. And my heart was drawn. And I said to myself, I want that. I looked at Billy Graham because he has been consumed. And in the midst of all of this beautiful, wonderful, expensive stuff, there's Billy Graham and a little black and white TV. And I said, that's what I want. What about you? Even if it's just this morning in your head and in your heart, you hit the reset button. You say, okay, God, here I am. I give you all of who I am. Take me. Maybe there's an area in your life that you know it's time. It's time. You take care of. Maybe you want to enter this new year fresh. He gives you that opportunity today. There's a song that, just a simple little chorus, here I am, Lord, here I am. Ryan, do you have it up there on the screen? I give all of myself to you, Lord, here I am. Band people, uh, you can come up. 
Here I am, Lord, here I am. Let your spirit work in me. Here I am. And as we sing this song, you just be obedient to the God. To God. You, you can sing it there in your pews. You can, you, you can come up. You can just, once again, consecrate your life afresh. 100% of who you are to Jesus Christ. I told you last week that I had some news that I wanted to share with you, but after this time I will share a few things with you before we close. Would you bow your heads with me, please? Father God, man, Lord, there are times I feel like I need to say forgive me because I'm not consumed the way that I need to be. God, we have so many distractions in this life. God, we have so many things that can take our focus away from you. God, I pray that even as I'm praying, there might be someone that just wants to come and hit the reset button with you. Lord, even as I'm speaking, they'll come and just drape themselves over the altar and just say, God, here I am again. It's just us and you, God. No pretenses. We're not trying to fool anyone because we can't fool you. Father, I pray that we'll all be consumed with you. Yes, God. I'm just going to wait in a moment of silence, in a moment of quiet, to give anyone a chance if they just want to come up. There's nothing magical about these altars. There's nothing magical about the wood or the, the box of Kleenexes up here. But it is a great representation. It's a great way for us to just... There, there is power, though. There is power to our movement, power to our legs. We, when we move like this, it, 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 it is a, it's a symbol of what is taking place in our hearts. Mm. Father God, deal with us. Deal with me today, God. May I be consumed with you? Mm. For all of life is nothing compared with you. Lord, you are more precious than silver. Hmm. There's a song we could sing as well. Father, use this time right now as we give our life to you once again as we allow ourselves to be consumed with you, Father. May we just be obedient to you. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen.